The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll and movies as one of my favorite guests, Eli Roth, returns to Talk is Jericho with his brother Gabe and film editor Mark Goldblatt. Uh, They join me today to talk about slasher movies. Yeah, this is an education in the genre. And as always, when Eli is on, you know you're going to get tons of cool trivia about movies and the filmmaking process. So today we're talking about the films that create and define the entire slasher brand, starting with old Italian slasher movies to uh, movies like the original Halloween, Friday the 13th, Psycho, the Argento movies, and why the whole genre died off in the 90s. Uh, Eli's got some great stories, as always, about how some of the earlier films were made, how the killer point of view was created, and the effect that the assassination of President Reagan uh, attempt in 1981 had on the whole genre. We'll also get the slasher movie revival in the late 90s. You'll hear some of our favorite films, plot lines, favorite death scenes, favorite uh, murder weapons, all that great stuff. Slasher movies with Eli and Gabe Roth and Mark Goldblatt is coming up, but first, new book is almost here no is a four-letter word coming out august 29th but i want you to pre-order it now at my amazon store amazon.com slash shop slash i am jericho the book is the 20 principles of how i made my dreams come true and how you can do it as well it's going to help you uh attain all the goals that you have for your life tell you how i did it pre-order it now on amazon and if you haven't downloaded the new podcast one app what are you waiting for just hit us up on the app store or google play and download the app start watching all the amazing 360 virtual reality videos there's over a thousand of them on the app you'll feel like you're right there in the studio with your favorite podcasts and the app also lets you interact with other podcast fans and access behind the scenes contact very very cool there's none of the podcast app like it available download it now and get to exploring all the cool special features also don't forget about my friends of jericho shirt available at represent.com slash friends of jericho get uh, one of the coolest designs that i've thought of so far and help support uh, the fight against juvenile diabetes go to represent.com slash friends of jericho to check that out and also i'm about to hit the road with fozzy for another round of dates on the judas rising tour right here in the united states 
We're going out with Gemini Syndrome and the Stir next month. Um, that starts September 26th in Clarksville, Tennessee. Take the last train to Clarksville. September 27th, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Then we got Columbus, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan, Libertyville, Illinois, Janesville, Wisconsin, Buffalo, actually uh, Niagara Falls, New York, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, Worcester, Massachusetts, Wilmington, Delaware, Wilmington, North Carolina, and of course, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And then we're going all the way overseas to Europe, October 27th, uh, we are going out with Hardcore Superstar in the UK and Europe, uh, Birmingham, England, Dublin, Belfast, Ireland, Chester, Manchester, London, Sheffield, Glasgow, Newcastle, all in the UK. Then we head over the pond to Amsterdam, Aschaffenburg, uh, Pratel, Roncade, Rome, Vienna, Munich, Essen, Hamburg, Genk. And also we're doing VIP meet and greets and pre-show mini concerts for all of those dates. It's one of the best VIP uh, packages you can get in the business. Come meet the band. Come take some pictures with us and actually see us play uh, a set of uh, songs that you probably won't hear in concert before the show. You can do all that at FozzyRock.com. Look up the tickets for the gigs as well. Come hang out with us, all right? It's going to be a rockin', rockin' fall. Speaking of rockin', Judas, all right, uh, down to number two this week on Octane, uh, Biggins Countdown, not too bad, but top 20 still on the active rock radio charts and also nominated for the best hard rock song of the year at the Loudwire Awards. Huge stuff going on with Judas. The record comes out October 13th, but for right now, let's hear the song Judas on Talk is Jericho. Personified, and I will drag you down and sell you out. Run away. I am cold like December snow. I have carved out this soul made of stone, and I will drag you down and sell you out. Embraced by the Now that 
right, great rock and roll song, and a great, great guest today is Eli Roth returns with his brother Gabe and uh, film editor Mark Goldblatt. They're going to be here to talk slasher films, but first, I got another tour to mention, and that's Diamond Dallas Page's DDP UK tour. Dally is bringing his crazy stories, over-the-top motivation, hilarious Q&A, and DDP Yoga Live workshops to the UK starting September 8th. You'll be able to meet Dallas, take a selfie with him, and even have him sign an autograph or two for you. So join in on the inspiration meets perspiration and experience Dallas's infectious energy for yourself. Go to ddpuktour.com to reserve your spot. Get all the details. That's ddpuktour.com. He's also doing DDP Yoga workshops in Glasgow, Manchester, Birmingham, and London and if Dallas isn't going to be in a city near you anytime soon get the DDP Yoga Now app and get on the track to healthier living you know what DDP Yoga has done for me in my career I've got the DDP Yoga Now app on my phone I just open the bad boy up I do a workout whenever I am wherever I am over 150 workouts on the app as well as the opportunity to do live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center in Smyrna, Georgia and DDP Yoga can help you get in shape and live a healthier life as well dallas has thought of everything because he truly cares about everyone he wants everyone to live a healthier life and meet all of your fitness goals and his ddp yoga program is great for anyone and everyone any age any skill level and with the app you can track your progress get nutrition tips recipes and all the motivation you need to stick with the program and stay on your game plan so diamond dallas page once again made it so easy for you to get on board his life-changing program just like i did take advantage of this tremendous deal that Dallas is offering. He's giving you 20% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all DDPY Mouch swag, clothing, etc. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. It's time to own your life. Start today. Get in the best physical and mental shape you've ever been in and do it now. Talk is Jericho. Okay, uh, hot on the heels after the hugely successful 80s teen sex comedy uh, discussion with the Roth brothers. They're back, Eli and Gabe, and also uh, editor extraordinaire Mark Goldblatt is here. And we're going to talk today about another huge genre that was more prevalent in the 80s. We're talking about the 80s slasher films. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Eli Roth being the uh, savant of all things movies. What's the genesis of the slasher film, starting basically late 70s, early 80s? Well, there's there's an era that's commonly referred to as the golden era of slashers, which kind of begins with Halloween in 1978. Right. And it sort of dies around Friday the 13th Part 4 or 5. So, you which know, was just, 86? 87? Yeah, like 86 is kind of a dead genre. People, people think that like sort of 70, really kind of 78 Halloween to Nightmare on Elm Street in 84 – a lot of people pronounce sort of reanimator as 1985 as the end of the golden age because what happened was home video exploded and people realized that you didn't have to put these movies in theaters. They would make so much money on VHS and therefore they didn't really have to be that good. So whereas Halloween was very much, you know, about Laurie and the characters and Michael Myers and the mythology, they just realized eventually that people just want to see kids just get mutilated. It was like, what's the killer? What are the weapons? And really, Friday right. the 13th, Friday the 13th Part 3, it's kind of an amazing movie because, first of all, it's in 3D. Of course. But it's the first movie to take it to a 3. When when that movie happened... Oh, interesting. No one had thought because it was like, well, Michael Myers died. And I should say that Mark Goldblatt edited Halloween 2. Two. Which, so he's which, got real We're going to have cred. some real stories about directing, yeah. you know, editing, working on the sequel to the, the seminal movie, the genre... 
But really, by part three, they sort of realized, well, it's Jason. He can just keep coming back from the dead. That had never been done before. Up until that point, it was like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and The Shining. And a horror movie had to have logic and make sense. But that's a great point. That was the first one to have a number three, Not maybe a, out of any movie. Out of, out of any of them. Because it also he, it's, that's when he gets the hockey mask in. And the first one, it's the mom. The second mm-hmm. one, it's the baghead. And that's Marty Catrozer, who's the script supervisor on Glorious Bastards, wrote the screenplay with his wife. And, and Quentin told me, he was like, you know, Marty created the hockey mask. And Jason, in the middle of the movie, he kills someone. He's looking around. He puts on the hockey mask. Once the mask came on, wow. that was it. The legend has begun. Yeah. That, right. Very cool. Which I did not realize because you're right. He he he, he was he was the baghead. Just put that. You can hold that there. He was the baghead in number two, wasn't he? Yeah. So no. So now once he's got the mask on, well, he can just kind of keep coming back from the dead. So when you do part four, part four, they're like, okay, now it's like just get a bunch of kids there, and what weapon can we kill them with? So it was no longer about what's scary. Also, it's it's sort of an interesting time in culture because. And we'll start from the beginning and go through this. But there was a huge backlash against the violence. And sort of Jack Valenti, who was the head of the Motion Picture Association of America, was in charge kind of metering the violence. The, the turning point is 1981, the John, the, when it was the Reagan assassination attempt. Hmm. When Reagan was shot, they said this violence has to stop. The violence is out of control. And the first movie to get it was My Bloody Valentine. My Bloody Valentine is a way more violent movie and the MPAA ripped the film to they shreds. Cut it to shreds, yeah. Cut it to shreds. They, so, finally, they finally re-released the uh, director's cut on DVD some years back. They right, did, and a lot of the scenes were lost. Because as, as a teenager going to the local video store and finding the, 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 the comic book rack of, of horror movies, and My Bloody Valentine was one of those ones, and you watch it and nothing happens. Because like you said, all the good scenes had been cut. Yeah. But you don't realize that when you're a kid. You're just thinking, this sucks. You might know this. What about the video nasties in the UK? Did that start before... The video nasties started in 1983 with Evil Dead, where what happened was at first. I mean, I know we're completely jumping out of order, but, we, we can, but the video nasties was the whole thing in the UK where certain movies were banned, and it was Evil Dead. Sam Raimi was brought up on obscenity charges in the UK, and wow. apparently the court trial was so traumatic that he went and he did a Crime Wave. But Evil Dead Two is comedic on purpose. Because of the backlash to the violence. Same thing with John Carpenter after he made The Thing was called a pornographer of violence. So after The Thing, he follows it up with Starman, which is this kind of science fiction romantic comedy. Because, and trust me, I know what you know, it's like to be, to be labeled like that. I was going to say, you've had the same. I've had the same thing happen, which same I'm label. very proud of. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. hard to do these days. So, but it really, you know, the, sort of the, if you look at the history of the slashers, the slashers have always been kind of the uncontrollable id mm-hmm. of society. That darkest part of you know the worst things that you can think of when someone cuts you off in traffic there's a party that wants to ram their car it's like the slasher they, many different metaphors um but it sort of started in fritz lang's m uh with peter laurie it's the child murder and the, really mm-hmm. the big one is alfred hitchcock's psycho in 1960 that is like the turning point that changes the genre but it's it's sort of um you know roman polanski kind of becomes the big hard you know the thriller director with rosemary's Bullshit. baby yeah. And repulsion. But then after his wife is brutally murdered, obviously by the Manson family, he kind of takes a step. And that's when the Italians step in, Mario Bava. And what's happening in Italy is, is 
interesting relationship back and forth between Italian and American cinema. If you look at the American Westerns, then the Italians decided they were going to do their version with spaghetti Westerns. Well, they create on-screen violence. You know, if you think of High Noon, the guy gets shot and grabs his chest. But if you look at the Sergio Corbucci movies and Sergio Leone films, though, you know, there's blood packs galore. Because yeah. no one was telling them not to. So mm-hmm. then what happens is all of those writers of the Westerns start moving over into crime movies. And there were paperback pulp crime novels that were prevalent in Italy mm-hmm. with yellow covers. And the word for yellow in Italy is giallo. Giallo. So as Mark knows, mm-hmm. this whole subgenre starts with directors like Mario Bava and Dario Argento, where they take these kind of pulp novels or they'll adapt them or write their own. And a big one that crossed over in 1970 was The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. And that mm. has a lot of the tropes. The knife, generally a killer wearing black gloves, knife penetrating a young woman, which obviously mm. in Carol Clover's point of view as well. Operatic like stylistic uh, vision. Yep. Argento was very operatic. Very operatic. And by operatic, we mean over-the-top colors, like minimal. Like you'll see a whole shot of a square and just hear the sound of heels. The music is way more dramatic. They're very, very Italian. But they didn't... I remember as kids when you watch the first Italian movie I saw that I didn't know was Italian was Demons because no one tells you. It's direct, sure. Because they changed the names on it, so there's no Italian For credit. me, it was Suspiria. Suspiria. Same you don't know that it's Italian, but you just see a little bit weird dubbing, but some really, really unsettling images. That opening scene Suspiria where Suspiria was very uh, remarkable because it was different from anything that had come before. I'd never seen it. Even for Argento. I was, still remember that scene with it? all the no, no. He, I said we'd never seen oh, it at the okay. time. Yeah. Okay. What I was, what I still remember from being a thirteen-year-old, twelve-year-old was the was the giant fat maggots. Yeah. In the attic, and it's like falling down falling into the, the razor the wire. Everybody oh, just, falling on the grill. That on the floor. And the, the opening the scene where the where the where the the person gets dropped through the chandelier, like oh, oh, amazing, amazing. <laughs> spectacular imagery. But you don't, you like I said, you had never seen. There's no frame like of reference before, for that. Right? It was just like insanity. Let me just jump in quickly before you're talking about about, about uh, Psycho in 1960. How did that movie get made with with how how strict the laws were and the morals of the time? They must have run question. Hitchcock through the coals for that. There's a huge. Well, there was a backlash. A lot of critics really slammed him. It's interesting how these great pivotal horror films that certainly happened again with Peeping Tom, which was around about the same time. Yeah, same year. I mean, Hitchcock Powell's career was like torpedoed. Yeah. In England, he had to go to Australia to make movies. Welcome, McDowell. No, 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 Michael no. Powell, Michael Powell, the director of Peeping Tom. Tom. Great, yeah. Michael Powell, director of Black Narcissus. And... Gotcha. So there, you're talking about there was ruining these guys' careers. There's a great movie. Um, the Hitchcock one with Anthony Hopkins with Helen Mirren playing his wife mm. talking about how she came in and recut the movie and rescored it like nobody liked Psycho he paid for it himself it was like Hitchcock was going to go bankrupt when he made that movie he used his TV crew he shot it in black and white right. it was like it was he shot it for $800,000 and Paramount they or Universal they wouldn't release it so he put it in he let them Dude, they let him put it in like two cinemas and he put up a big thing warning Psycho is the scariest experience do not see this if you have a heart condition did like and it was selling out and selling out, and then it became a classic. But they, the studio didn't even want to release it. Because it was so bad. It was so bad. Hostile the they weren't going to release. Hmm. Like, like People saw it, and they're like, this is so violent. No one will see this movie. And then we did a test screening, and audiences were, like, screaming. And then Quentin came on board, and they released it. But they, but that was the same thing, that, that reaction. Not that it's – I'm not comparing it to Psycho. I'm just no, saying – you're going through the saying same that, thing. Like, anytime you try to push the envelope that way, people are like, audiences won't accept this. You, you, get, you, you get demonized. You, right, right. No really pun intended. Exactly. So, the, so the slasher films, you know, Mario Bava. There's a film that everyone, the well that everyone's drinking from, is a film called Bay of Blood, which also has the title Twitch of the Death Nerve. Love it. That's from 1971. Excellent movies released on DVD. 
That's where the POV gets created. Okay, that's what it was. The killer POV. Killer and, POV. And all of the deaths Steve Miner says he took for Friday the 13th Part 2, you can put it on top of Bay of Blood. Yeah, well, they, Ross, uh, they, the, Cunningham, Sean Cunningham, yep. uh, also was highly influenced by the, for the first Friday the 13th. Where they have yeah. the sex and they get the... Stabbed through the body, yeah. yeah. To both bodies get stabbed. That's straight out of Bay of Blood. Yeah, it's oh, Mario wow. Baba. Wow. No, it's true. So Bay of Blood is a great film, but then that POV, Bob Clark, this is how Bob Black Clark Christmas. is such... Bob Clark is such a genius. The guy creates the slasher holiday genre with Black Christmas. Then he invents the sex comedy with, with Porky Porkies. And follows it up with a Christmas story. A movie that is played wow. 24 hours talk, at a time. Talk like, about an underrated genius, is right? A, God, he was a genius. And he created, he started a zombie movie with Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things and did this amazing kind of zombie vampire hybrid film called Death Dream in 1974. Uh, Which is political, right? Really political movie. Someone comes back from Vietnam the night Andy right. came home. It was the original title. It's an amazing film. But he's there's the mother. It's about a mother's wish for a dead son. They get the news the son died. Mm -hmm. And the mom just does this prayer going, please let him be alive. Please, it's not true. And then he shows up. And he like, and he just seems weird and won't leave his room. And then they find out that he's going out and drinking blood. And that he actually, she brought him back. And the end of the movie, they drive to the cemetery. And it's the mother. He buries himself. And the mom helps bury him. It's like you get chills watching this movie. It's so smart. Bob Clark was such a genius. So he does this movie in Canada. Canadians, big influence on slasher films. He does this movie, Black Christmas. And he was going to do Black Halloween. He was just going to change the holidays. But it's a slasher POV watching the girls. It's Margot Kidder. Mm -hmm. The girls in a sorority house over Christmas that have stayed there are getting stalked by a slasher. And it's, uh, it's terrific. Who's somewhere in the building. Yeah, but they don't know where, but we know where. I think we're in the, in the attic. You see, yeah, you see the killer in there. And then, yeah. you know, he was doing that before when a stranger calls, right? Yeah, it was before when a stranger calls. Fred was Walton it before Halloween was. It was yeah, Halloween was nineteen seventy eight. So, so John Carpenter has a script called The Babysitter Murders mm -hmm. that he's going to make, and they change it to you know they change the title to Halloween. And he but, did that after Assault on Precinct Thirteen, which yeah gave him some cred. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And Dark Star, one of my mm -hmm. favorite Dark movies. Um, so, so Mark, you edited Halloween too. Tell us I about edited, that. So uh, yeah, the pressure on that was the, because Halloween's such so, so, such a pioneering movie, and two does hold up. But what was your experience with that? Well, uh, you know, John Carpenter did not direct that. It was directed by Rick Rosenthal, whose style is somewhat different. Why uh, did Carpenter not direct it? I guess he didn't want to. Okay, uh, he produced it with mm -hmm. Deborah Hill. And they were very uh, close to the project and very hands-on. Mm -hmm. Was he there? Was he involved in the production or the editing? Or he was involved in the editing for sure. He had instincts. He had good ideas. And uh, so, what's your well? But I. But the pressure I can tell to follow you, one up of the Halloween. things that was different was that there was actually more overt uh, gore and violence than in, that uh, than actually appeared in the first Halloween. Yeah, the first one more TNA as well. Right? We had the yeah. we had the razor blade in the kid's mouth. Yeah. Which was a cool one. We oh. had the uh, dunk uh, murder by topless nurse getting dunked into the boiling the, water, the hot tub, water, which is eviscerating the skin. Which again, we we said comes from uh, Profondo Rosso, deep, deep red. red, a great Dario art. If you want to get the Argento, let's talk about. Okay, so there are a lot of people that are listening to this that might know. Oh, I saw the Friday Thirteenth remake. Some you don't want to go too hardcore. I don't want to go start with strip nude for your killer. What is a good gateway drug Argento one oh one that people can watch if they're not super into Italian movies? What are like two movies that you, you can like I would say Deep Red and Suspiria. Suspiria, yeah. For and sure. but Deep Red is the the eye in the closet that's directly out of Saw. If you talk to James Wan mm -hmm. and Lee Wanell, they were watching seven 
and Argento. I mean, this whole movie is a tribute to Argento. And right. and for me, Hostel Two, the upside down kind of bloodbath of the late Elizabeth Bathory scene is my is, that's my Argento sequence. Mm. I mean, you want to go a little, then you can go to Tenebrae, but I think Suspiria is such an amazing movie and deep. Re- Suspiria stands alone, and it's not even in, there's no tradition for it. And I guess the idea was that uh, Argento got the idea from his wife about the witches. That- yeah, Dario Nicolone's mother. Dario Nicolone's mother was went to a ballet school in Germany that mm-hmm. was run by witches, That's and it. the entire thing for she, real, for real. Wow! And it was witches and the killings and the girls disappearing. The three mothers. The three mothers. The whole thing came from his wife Daria Nicolodi, Azia's mother. That was the grandmother had been through this experience and told mm-hmm. Dario. And so he wrote he wrote the movie about it. Based That's on that. Based on that. So I, the other thing is that in Italy, people have to understand that during the Mussolini, during World War II, when you know, Mussolini was the one who built the film industry, and you know the Nazis were making their movies, the Italians were making propaganda movies, but Mussolini, the way they sort of controlled the information mm-hmm. was that you weren't allowed to record sync sound. Now, sync sound is when the camera's going and you're talking and you recorded the picture and sound separately, but you're not allowed to do that in Italy. So they built studios that were by the airports. They're very noisy. And the, way, the reason they were not allowed to was because you'd have an officer from the government in the dubbing stage listening to everything you're recording really? so that the government could supervise every single line that's being used. So you couldn't put any anti-fascist propaganda, anything anti-Mussolini. Wow. So, so the, what happened was after basically eight, ten years of this, people got used to it. So the Italians, then when they start making movies – for the rest of the world, what they would do is they would have Italian actors, German actors, French actors. They did this in the Spaghetti Westerns. Everybody speaks their own language. And then afterwards, they have like three people dub them. So you're like, <laughs> and they would change the name of the directors. So all these Italian directors had their Americanized, you know, Bob Robertson was Anthony Sergio. Dawson. Anthony Antonio, Antonio Margareti was Anthony Dawson. Margareti. Margareti. So, so none of these guys, you know, they all, you'll see them with like, you know, really weird, a very sort of plain American names. But that's why you just have to kind of accept it as one of the things. It wasn't really until Gangs of New York that they that they soundproofed the sound stages. So it was it was that late in the game mm, that they absolutely. made Chinachita soundproof. So so the dubbing we all associate it with kind of bad kung fu movies and bad dubbing. But if you just you kind of to enjoy these movies, you have to sort of get over that and not make fun of it and just go just kind of watch it for the colors and the creativity in it. It's just it's but just it's, how but it's it like was. watching J horror. Once you get used to the fact that there's you know uh, 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 writing at the bottom of the screen, you know, yeah, you, you just take it and you don't even notice it anymore. You know, once once you get the subtitles that are there, same thing with with these Jalo and the bad dubbing. You just kind of it's like listening to Metallica's saying anger. Just forget about how bad the drum sound is and just listen to it for what it is and you actually can get into it's it. It's true. It. Yeah. No, it really is. No, you have to stop making fun of it and yeah. not put not be on a pedestal about exactly. it's right. like it's it, which is something that people kind of innately do it's when a they convention. hear convention. It's like rear projection. Old yeah. Rear projection mm-hmm. or miniatures in a Hitchcock film. Yeah. You watch the, the mini, miniature train and the lady vanishes. That's the best they had. It's great. Sure. It's, I love it. You just accept but, it. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
This, this is Talk is Jericho. Let me ask you this, Mark. We're talking about, you know, we're kind of moving into the 80s. Now, Halloween is a 70s movie. I think Halloween 2 is 80. And you mentioned how it, there was a lot more violence and gore and, of course, a lot of sex yeah, in I, 2. Is that I, just I, a sign of the times? Italian, What's that? Well, was it a sign of times? Yes, of course. In a, in a slasher film or a horror film, you probably want to get away with as much as you can because sure. you're trying to break through taboos. I mean, that's part of it. There's something very transgressive about a horror film. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can talk about things in metaphor that, that have a greater import and have to do with society and right things like that. So, uh, but Grand Guignol, the influence of Grand Guignol, to me, is, is a very powerful force. I, you yeah. know, people always denigrate this stuff, but it's kind of a, not kind of a mosaic of blood. I, I Sardou. Mean, yeah. Grand Guignol was in Paris, the Grand Guignol Theater in the 1890s, yeah. and they, they would do live executions, and people, all, the, all Paris high society would show up, and they would pull off these effects that people still don't know how they did, and there were theories, was it real or not, but it was theater. It was like theater of blood. People would show up to see, and that, of course, is what... Blood Sucking Freaks is based on uh, completely. Yeah, with, so with my boy Ralphus, Ralphus, the great So, where, when did the, like you're talking Brady about? Let's Edelman. say you know, heavy metal started with the Steppenwolf song, Heavy Metal Thunder. What slasher films? When did the when did that it, term start Halloween being used? Halloween is made for three hundred thousand dollars and makes forty million dollars at the box office. Now that's Incredible. like four hundred. That's, that's, that's like Star, yeah. That's Star Wars numbers. That's, that's a movie right. that's in the theaters for a year. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, every studio is like, "Well, wait a minute. Why are we spending?" all these money on big budget productions, we can mm-hmm. start cranking them out. So then uh, Sean Cunningham makes Friday the 13th, and that one explodes. And then they start looking at Halloween. Charles Kaufman's like, well, let's do Mother's Day. Like, they just looked at the calendar. That's why I did... What, what holiday well, was wasn't, wasn't Friday the 13th and Halloween were... in uh, Mother's Day were exactly They were the same filmed time. at like, the same time across the lake right. from one another. You know wow. And the cast would hang out yeah. and, like, you hook think up. All the, all, do you have all the holidays been taken? Well, that's why I did Thanksgiving. That's as our, as that <laughs> so was the great. one holiday. We were in Massachusetts where what it's about, like... What killed. about all the Jewish holidays? I think they're still available. Wait, by the way, we want to do the Simchas Torah massacre. The log bomber burning. I want The Yom Kippur killings. But then they start moving like the burning there's a whole subgenre of early 80s slasher films that are filmed at overnight camp but i grew up in the east coast and i went to overnight camp and from june to august they're booked up in camp so to film a movie there they either have to film it in may or september so there's a great convention in movies like the burning where you can tell it's like really really cold outside there's no leaves on the trees and everyone's in jeans and so the swimming scene these poor kids are like turning blue and it's like scram squirt it's gonna be long summer for you and then like and then the kids go in the water and you just like they just turn into human icicles it's so sad but like those early 80s but camp right. movies after Friday the 13th and suddenly there's a million camp Madman has them yeah Sleepaway Camp Sleepaway you know, Camp Madman Camp for the burning Sleepaway Camp there were like three of those or there was four? three well, there was... Sleepaway Camp is a fantastic yeah. and I'm gonna throw two in there as well for an 80s time capsule slasher mm-hmm. fun movie it's great three horrible Terrible. But, but other good movies know. like Terror Train. Well, Terror, Terror Train is a great one. Roger Spottiswood directed yeah, you got that. Trains, with, you got Matt well, Jamie, it's they. This is there's a great book called Men, Women, and Chainsaws by um, a woman named Carol Clover who really came up with the Final Girl theory, mm-hmm. and that the movies it, she she broke down. There were enough of these films that she said these are about men 
that it's about their impotence, the killer's impotence, and that's why they're penetrating the women. With and if you look at pieces, um, you know it's about this man who's you know Classic. it's like there's the there's the one middle piece of the puzzle of the naked woman and the relationship with the boy's mother, and he's mm-hmm. now building a human jigsaw puzzle. But every time he comes in the chainsaw in the silhouette, it's like a giant dick. It's an, it's an erection. It's literally he's penetrating the women. So so they were saying that all the serial killers couldn't get it up. That's what it is. It's all the men's anger at women and their frustration of the women being more powerful. Like, they're amazing, amazing essays. Um, there's a, actually a really terrific magazine called Axe Wound, this girl Hannah runs, that where she deconstructs April Fool's Day. Like, there, there are these amazing kind of female horror fans that deconstruct this stuff like you would not believe. And what she came up with was the final girl theory. And the final girl, there was even a movie about it called Final Girls that's mm-hmm. on iTunes, where that's the last girl in a horror movie and she's almost always the virgin. And of course, it wasn't until Scream came out that there were so many movies that, that people were self-aware of that they could self-consciously follow the rules, make jokes, and then break the rules. Like, oh, we have sex now, now I'm going to get killed. But she pointed out that it's always the virginal one that is the last one, and she's the one that lives to the next film, and usually is the one that, that gets like, the kill. And that was Jamie Lee Curtis. Was subtly saying that she's, she because queen. she's a virgin, she's better than everyone else. Like, she's nicer. She's the she's hero. Pure. She's pure. She's exactly. pure. She hasn't been tainted. Isn't sex is, kind of sex is bad. Isn't that kind of the irony, though, of like the early 80s when it was like Republicans are in charge and everything? And it's like they were so against these movies, but th- these movies themselves are kind of like Republican propaganda. Like, <laughs> don't have sex, right? I, mean, I know. It's like, I know. And Tipper Gore, you know, heavy metal guy right here. Like, right. Gore, she was a pain in the ass for yeah. like these well, movies. You're and, seeing the rise yeah. of heavy metal, punk rock, and slasher movies and sex comedies at the same time. And meanwhile, on television, you're not allowed to have sex. Cable TV isn't mainstream, so the only place you could see it was the it was the titillation, it was the taboo of mixing sex and violence and sexual violence. And then it was after the Reagan assassination they really started pulling back. But you still mm-hmm. got movies like The Prowler that slipped through. And then you know, as as what happened was horror. You had Philip Kaufman making Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You had who's doing the right stuff. You had Stanley Kubrick coming off of Barry Lyndon doing The Shining. You have Spielberg, you know, Jaws being Oscar nominated. Like making a horror movie was a thing that like Ridley Scott doing Alien, like A-list directors did. Then the slashers came in and mm-hmm. some of them are great. and But a lot of them are, I love them, but they're not great movies. Mm-hmm. So good directors kind of stayed away from them. They, they sort of became associated with being B-movies and bad movies. But like you said, then you start watching them just to see what kind of deaths you can come up with, what kind of inventive well, that, demise. That, that's it, inventive ways to get done. Right, and that was, that, that, you know, because we used to do a thing, uh, I told you about the Cheap Ass Club, which I just asked your advice this Christmas, where you would rent the movie and you would watch it and if for every boob that showed up, you'd, 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 you'd take some points off. And for every, if there was ever a dick, you'd take some points off. If there was a great death, so so you'd start at four bucks for the rental and then take money off. And if you got to zero, you knew you had a hit. And if you got minus, then we owe them more money. It was so great. What about like De Palma though? De well, Palma- De Palma, we can talk about De Palma. De Palma is, but De Palma sort of fills a void where Hitchcock, it's like, it's like he, like whether it's Hitchcock or Polanski doing the thrillers. I mean, De Palma does Sisters and then he does Phantom of the Paradise and it's not mm-hmm. a big box office hit. But De Palma, it seems like he's, you know, he he kind of comes into his own when it's Scarface and the Untouchables. But body double is like a straight up. But he does. Yeah. But but I don't know. You got to know how. It's it's hard to know how much he loves the genre. I don't know. Well, he loves the tropes. He loves working with. He lo- But he loves the things. cinematic quality of them. I mean, I mean, does he love the film noir? It's not because so much a slasher. A film like Blowout be, but... starts with the greatest fake slasher movie. 
But it's like he doesn't commit to making a slasher. He has to make fun of a slasher. Now, De Palma's one of my gods of cinema. I've said this with, like, mm-hmm. Carrie is one of the most incredible horror movies. But he's doing these elevated, but he's always going for this kind of dress-to-kill psychosexual thriller. And even in Body Double, the porno elements are the movie within the movie. It's like he never fully commits to making a porn film. He does a scene where they're shooting a porn mm-hmm, film. Mm-hmm. But the drill penetrating in Body Double was notorious. That, mm-hmm. like, people couldn't... They had never seen anything never like Never seen anything it. like that before. So, yeah. I mean, Dress to pa- Kill is basically also, though, isn't it? That's also a slasher movie. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. For sure. But, you know, there's something about De Palma, which he, because he's a, an auteur, we'll say he's an auteur, I think it's fair to say, his style is discernible from other styles. Right. So you always know you're watching a De Palma film. And he... Brings something to the table, and it's very, very precise. But they're different from his early political stuff. And we do a whole De Palma talk. Yeah. If, you, if you want to see the most, like the best De Palma movie, I think is High Mom from 1970 with Robert De Niro. It has a sequence where you're watching it, and it's like this goofy comedy that's Joe totally Clayburgh insane. In that? What's that? Jill Clayburgh in that one? No, it's Jennifer Salt, Robert Jennifer De Niro, Salt. Alan Garfield. It's All amazing. Right. Garrett Graham. And it's a sequel, a quasi-sequel to Greetings, where a guy comes back from Vietnam and he's obsessed with peeping Tom and porn and, like, filming his neighbors. And Robert De Niro wants to make porn movies. And then there's a sequence where he gets involved with these Black Panther radicals in this production called Be Black Baby. And it's the craziest (laughs) ten minutes of cinema you've ever seen. And it's actually, you leave the movie with your jaw on the ground and you you can't believe. You don't know what you just saw. You don't know what you just saw. It's like human centipede level, what the f***. (laughs) Right. Brilliant. But let's Brilliant. talk about some of those moments in some of these movies that we discussed, some of the, the, the classics. Like you mentioned before, Pieces, one of the greatest endings Ever. of all time, where he actually ends up making the body. So what he's doing, he's killing people, killing girls, and then making his own jigsaw corpse, basically. Yes. But at the end of Pieces, what what happens, Eli? Well, I don't know. I feel like, spoiler alert. I'll, oh, it's I'll been 30 years. The spoiler is, right, spoiler. is, is okay. statue of limitations is over. Edmund Purdom has been putting the bodies. It's like one of these guys Edmund that was like Purdom the handsome the handsome British actor that was then working in Spain because he couldn't work anywhere else. <laughs> and they're still like dyeing his hair and playing him off like he's in his 50s. But Edmund Purdom is making the body. And, of course, he's caught by the police. And he's got the tennis instructor who's the police officer undercover. And he's given her the drug that paralyzes her. And then... And the hero, um, played by Ian Sarah, <laughs> it's an amazing film because it's Kendall Morgan, the campus stud, this guy that's f-ed every girl. And at the end, he's like, oh, hang on, I forgot my jacket. And it's like they, they think the killer's dead. And then the body falls out in slow motion. It's this amazing shock of the body falling down. And they're like, oh, my God, you've seen like every single person that's been killed has been met. And then he's standing there. And then out of nowhere, the f-ing hand reaches up and rips his dick off, rips his cock off. And like the, the the dead corpse and rips I had, his cock off. And I actually, I had like a, a very interesting conversation with a friend of Quentin's, this woman Ada, who who really broke it down. And she said that that was actually a brilliant ending because it's about all of the anger. The women are pieces of meat to this guy. This guy, every single person in the movie, he just sort of them and forgets them and that this is the rage of the women at this asshole that are literally ripping his piece out and, and it's it's interesting it's the director Juan Piquer Simon who directed an amazing movie called Slugs later oh, in 1988 yeah, was like an openly gay director in probably like late 70s I mean, it was like he was not a young guy when he made that film and clearly you know there was growing up in Catholic Spain and fascist times and what he must have been through, the, like all of these feelings about women and his mother. It's really, it's like, it's, it's, in, it's one of those movies that you can't dismiss. You can write it off as a piece of shit horror movie. And the more I watch it over and over and over, the more like appreciate, like Mother's Day is one of those films where you could say, okay, this is a movie about these two like hillbillies that are like 
you know, raping and murdering, you know, women in the woods and the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. And then you look at it closer. And I've talked about this with Guillermo del Toro. It's this incredible sort of deconstruction of the overflow of pop, the sewer of pop culture. And the, the two guys are named Ike and Adley of, you know, Ike and Adley Stevenson. Like, the, it's like it's like there's political commentary. And <laughs> I, I actually that. met. You know, Charles Coffin did a screening and asked about all that. And Warren Light, his co-writer, went on to be a very successful playwright. Like when these guys made the slasher film, they're like, what if we do like a very kind of smart comment on all the garbage of pop culture? And they filmed fake commercials for the movie. So if you're watching all these like fake products and all this shit, it's like they just saw all it's like it, it's amazing. TV's like always all, on. TV's always on. Mm, it's right. like it's like all the stuff that these guys the TV. Yeah. kind of see killed by the television. He's killed by the That's breast. Right. Does he get Drano poured down his throat yeah. first and an axe yeah. in the ball. starts puking yeah. Yeah, but pink then the blood? Breast, the breast suffocates him. Mother's breast. It's yeah. like these guys are very specific. You know, yeah, that's George, how the mother dies, yeah. And George yeah. Romero, when he's making Night of the Living Dead, zombies, you know, zombies were kind of a metaphor for slavery. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the 40s, it was the mad scientist that wants the slaves, so they would hypnotize them. But then George Romero in Night of the Living Dead makes a real strong comment about racism um, you know, he's, he puts the black guys lead in in the horror movie that had never been done. that was not done that was like a big thing and he's sort of these zombies become this thing where there is no race they're just like anyone will eat and all all the stuff that he was commenting on what was going on politically in 1968 for that movie to come out it was like this flare that gets sent up into American culture and then by the time he does Dawn of the Dead he just sees consumerism people consuming consuming going to the mall and buying and it's buying the mall, right? and that's why he sets it at a mall it's like he always used zombies for some kind of political metaphor it's like Toby Hooper when he does Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Psycho which were both inspired by Ed Gain I mean Ed Gain at the time in 1959 there was, this was a guy in Wisconsin that was like killing women wearing their skin keeping his mother's corpse in his house this this shocked that's this, real yeah. that's real and that shocked America that had never been discovered no well, one were in Life magazine. You mm-hmm. ever see that issue of Life magazine? Oh no, that's that's what made it national news. Oh. You know, lampshades made out of human skin. Yeah, well, this all this kind of Holocaust stuff was happening at home. For wow. this guy had been beaten. So, so you get like, "Don't go in the house" is an Ed Gain story. Um, Deranged is an Ed Gain story, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Toby Hooper's like. You know, he grew up, he's like, I grew up with the Norman Rockwell American family, but now the Manson family. You can't underestimate the power of of what Charles Manson and those horrible, horrible murders did to American society. No one thought that this was possible. And so so there's like a turning point where it starts to come out in, in the movies, you know, and it filters it. So getting back to the Italians, the way the Italians, the Westerns, the spaghetti Westerns sort of added violence. The Italians did these crime giallo movies. And at the same time, Commedia Sexuale Italiana, these crazy Italian sex comedies where there's always an old guy and like the hot young girl and he walks into her in the shower and they're chasing him around. They're super rapey movies, but they're very, very funny. But it's like the precursor to the American slasher film and the sex comedies. We sort of look to those guys mm-hmm. and start drinking it from over. their well and bring it over here. It's interesting the same directors would do both kinds of movies. Lucio Fulci did a couple of those comedies mm-hmm. as well. Fulci did some amazing... I was talking about talking like with Bob Clark as well. You're, you're very diverse as a filmmaker making comedies, horror movies, holiday movies, and they're all great. Right. But the Italians take it next level. Like if the Americans are trying to make a movie for mainstream, you'd see like the Italians. Like when Lucio Fulci commits, he does New York Ripper and that movie's like... That is like switchblade in the pussy level. You're like, oh, like stuff that's so sick and so crazy. Yeah. He just like they'll commit to it, and they're like, this, that's what the movie is. We, we talked that's about a the duck, right? Oh, that's don't torture a oh, duck. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no
Yeah, the voice. Oh yeah, the, the killer is talking to the duck. The duck. It's like, yeah, you're either down with the duck or you're not down with the duck. If you're not down with the duck, you're not going to like them. That's like a <laughs> the movie. killer talks like a duck is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little duck. Yeah, falling in to like taunt the like the police. The police like, <laughs> Guess where I am, Lieutenant. <laughs> it's like it's one of the weirdest movies ever, but one of my favorites. It's unique. It's we're, unique. We were talking. Go ahead, Gabe. Well, I was going to say, it, there's this weird sort of thing that happens. Like, it, those, all the movies you're talking about are like these kind of intense movies, especially in the late 70s and mm. the very first movies. Like, I'm sure you're gonna, about to get into Prowler and things like that. But then in the mid 80s, or like early mid 80s, it gets a little silly, you know? Like, in, in, um, pieces it's kind of funny like there's funny scenes oh and like, yeah and then like motel hell and you just get to this comedy it's like oversaturation mm-hmm. and it's like that's the fun of those 80s as opposed to the early 80s the mutilator one, just yeah they're not fun. rough they're not brutal they, they have a sense of humor about them which well, is sort of what killed the genre but the thing is too though and also i think another thing that killed the genre is that the killers became way more interesting than the victims so you became much more entranced in what the killer was doing and how he was going to kill these idiot school kids or teenagers. Mm-hmm. And that kind of – that took away the fear no, and made it fun. We, how many kids dress up like Freddy Krueger? Like Freddy yeah. Krueger is iconic. Everybody loves Freddy Krueger. But you forget like Freddy Krueger was like a child rapist. Yes. Yeah, he was like Freddy Krueger was like a pedophile. Who was like, burned who was by bro- the families <laughs> of the, the families kids he molested, the kids he and, molested killed. and killed. It's like it's unbelievable. But you know We've gotten so far away. What happened was – the popular movies of the day, the real blockbusters became the Schwarzenegger movies. And mm-hmm. every time, as Mark Goldblatt, our editor of Commando, where's Solly? I let him go. Right, then it becomes a cliche. One of the yeah. classic lines of movies, I let him go. And I remember, like, did the idea that, because Rambo was pretty silent, but when Schwarzenegger came in, he made a joke. Yeah, he had punchlines. So you waited for the punchline. So then suddenly of Freddy Krueger's like, don't lose your head, have a yes. nice day. And, and because Freddy could talk, Right. Freddy becomes really funny, so he's hosting television shows. Freddy's Nightmares. Freddy raps like, for the Fat Boys. Like the he did rap. <laughs> he does. The, Freddy he raps for rap. the Fat Boys. Yes, between the Dream Warriors docking and between Bring <laughs> nice. Your Daughter to the Slaughter, the theme song to one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, I think it was part four, is yeah. uh, hey. is him rapping with the Fat Boys. And let's not forget Love Kills by Vinnie Vincent Invasion, which was also... By the good. way, can we also give credit to the Italians because they were the first ones that introduced electric guitar to Westerns. Like, if you watch the, the Clint Eastwood, Sergio Leone Spaghetti Westerns, mm-hmm. like, the way that Italians made it cool and modern and hip, which nobody appreciated at the time, people made fun of, they weren't using an orchestra. They were using an electric guitar to mm-hmm. score a movie. That had never been done before. Right. Italians did it. Dario Argento, again, in Phenomena, 1985, scores it with Iron Maiden. Right. It was released also, as Creepers over here. And you yes. were like, oh, my God. And Flash of the Blade. Flash of the Blade. And, and, and I Deans. believe Saxon also made an appearance in that as well. Yes. <laughs> like, like the, the Italians were just like, yeah, we'll put heavy metal. Like, mixing heavy metal and horror. The Italians, Mario Bob, it's demons. It's but once again, as kids growing up in the '80s, you go look at the video store, and it's like it's a horror movie with Iron Maiden in it. I'm sold. I'm sold. I remember the movie Jennifer Connelly shit because it's probably edited to hell. Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer Connelly, 13 years old. If there's a remaster of it, phenomena, it's been released as it was called Creepers when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Beautifully photographed. Jennifer Connelly at 12 or 13 years old. It's like. It's yeah, like Natalie stunning. Portman, the professional. Right. So her acting is so good; it's it's like unbelievable. And it's a terrific movie. Yeah, but wasn't really wasn't good. that very underrated when it came out? Very underrated. Think, but wasn't it also help. cut, like edited all the good scenes they cut had, out of it? Yes, because he used that. that's they what we, always did that to his movies. That's what I mean. It would suck because you wouldn't get to see. It wasn't anything. until DVD came out in like to the two thousands that you could finally start to see how beautifully these films were shot and yeah. see the uncut versions. Same thing with Lucio Fulci, the Beyond City of Living Dead, Absolutely. which is called the Gates of Hell. They would retitle it. They would cut it down. 
Um, and you know, the, so the slasher movie kind of goes dormant. You get movies like The Mutilator, yeah. which was released originally titled Fall Break. So it has a great theme song going on a fall break. <laughs> that finally now you ha- finally Amazon Prime finally has the uncut version, and it is brutal. Because you even you even suggested that we rent that for the cheap ass club, and it's like make sure you get the unrated version. And we thought we had the unrated version, but it was still cut. So Amazon Prime now has it up there, and it it the, one of the worst scenes with the hook the going hook, up the vagina, up the coming up the stomach, and it's, it's like, just like you're like oh. what? She's this like is... literally getting hooked like it's a fish. It's horrible, terrible. And yet you got to admire Bloody Buddy Cooper, Bloody Buddy Cooper. <laughs> Directed that one movie, um, and I took my bifurcation in Cabin Fever. My working title was Fall Break, and me getting ripped in half was my nod. No, to explain the... bifurcation. Bifurcation is when you were ripped in half, like Omen Two, with the yeah, elevator right, cable elevator. cuts you, and also the uh, cable at the He's beginning of the... Ghost Ship. Um, and really, you know, one of the Friday Thirteenth, when they're having sex, he splits her right in half. Yeah, <laughs> bifurcation. I was obsessed with it. I love the name bifurcation. And you were bif- that sounds. It must be a death metal band out there somewhere called bifurcation. bifurcation. <laughs> it's like defenestration. The act of being thrown out a window is another favorite word. Like with this movie, I always say, like, can we just put a defenestration just to use the word? But so by the end of that, when they're straight to video, like they're. You know, kind of by 86, you know, you Friday the 13th Part 5. It's like they, they just start running out of steam, and so people kind of stop doing them. Dude. The Freddies kind of die, and it really isn't until Scream. that Didn't, wh- they, didn't they send Jason into outer space? Like Jason did. went to space. Jason went to hell. Jason, Jason went to space. Went to hell. Jason Freddy. fought Freddy Krueger. Oh, yeah, Freddy versus Jason. But, yeah. that, but that was 2003. That was the year the R-rated movies came back. But it right. was 90, It was really when Scream comes out, that is... And what's so smart about Kevin Williamson, and he does it in television, like at the same time he does Dawson's Creek mm-hmm. and he does Scream, and this guy is just like his Once voice. Again, diversity. He takes the John Hughes approach. He's like, I'm going to write. Because what happened was the teens were so dumb in these slasher movies that the antidote was John Hughes. And John Hughes comes in and he says, I'm going to make teens smart. He does what Cameron Crowe does in Fast Times. They're not dependent on their parents. Mm-hmm. I'm going to treat teenagers like adults. I'm going to tell real stories and audiences devoured it. Suddenly, and I remember being like, everyone else was into the breakfast club at a sleepover and they were all watching this movie and I was bored out of my mind. I appreciate it now, but I was bored out of my mind. And then I, I put on Reanimator and like everyone left the room and I was like not allowed at parties anymore. Like, <laughs> I was still in it. I was like not catching up with the time. That was the thing about having sleepover parties at our house. Like I remember for my 10th birthday party, it was literally like I wanted to watch Motel Hell. But in order to do that, I had to tell everyone, okay, we're going to watch Nighthawks because it has Lando Calrissian and Rambo Rucka in it. Yeah. So we did a double feature and I was like, okay, we'll do Night Hawks and then we'll do Motel Hell and it like took like that sort of easing in you but had people, to have audiences yeah. wanted smarter characters with their teenagers and that's right. that's just the evolution it's not good or bad it just it is things come in waves and and so the, the slasher it goes there's a whole documentary the rise and fall the slasher film it's like it's over it ends people don't want to pay money to see it the VHSs aren't selling and then kind of by the 90s it's a dead genre and still the MPA is pulling back on violence and and you have like Bush and Dan Quayle and all these people that sort of as a demonstration of how we're going to protect society they pull back on movie violence as always and then it really was Wes Craven and Scream and Craven does Last House on the Left in 1972 a seminal movie that is the, the kind of serious Classic, serial yeah. killer movie. Then he reinvents the slasher film with Freddy Krueger, who can kill you in your dreams. Mm-hmm. So with Nightmare on Elm Street. And then he starts to scream. I mean, this guy creates three monster right. seminal Genres, franchises. Yeah, yeah. The guy was unbelievable. There's no one like him. Let's yeah. talk about some of your favorite movies from that time frame. I'm sure you have some that stand out for you. Yeah. You know, the movies that I go back to pieces is probably my all-time favorite slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
if you want to pair it with a good double bill torso by Sergio Martino is another torso good, is quite good. J- jigsaw puzzle gel from, <laughs> from 73. Yeah. Um, but I love the Prowler. The Prowler mm. is just like a good nuts and bolts, like meat and potatoes, good nudity. Tom Savini does amazing effects in that film. It's like a great pitchfork death. And Farley Granger is in it, who is, I think, you know, banging Heather Thomas at the time. That was a rumor, and I just had the utmost admiration because I was obsessed with Heather Thomas. Prowler has the single best one-two punch between the bayonet going down the guy's skull straight into the pitchfork scene. In the pitchfork scene, it's a very long shot of a woman naked showering. She's hot, and it looks like they just really killed someone. The effects are so amazing. Well, there, there were things like in Maniac is another one, and this wow. is Tom Savini, the shotgun blast to the head, where you could fire live rounds, which you can't do anymore. Like, there was no safety or protection laws, so the shotgun blast, and he had been in Vietnam, and so he knew weapons and knew makeup effects, so he would build a head. He does it in the, in the opening of Dawn of the Dead when they kick open the door and the police are in that crazy raid, which is always one of the weirdest things. There's like a zombie outbreak, but there's like racist police breaking into yeah, a private building. I'm yeah, like, this yeah. is so weird, yeah. but that's what makes it so amazing. Um, and the shoot, you see the guy, they nicknamed him Boris. It's like a very famous guy in like an orange and yellow shirt, and his head gets blown. That's because they could use real shotguns to, to do this stuff. Which, so they would actually set up the dummy and then use an actual shotgun yep, to blow it up. That's why, the, that's why the headshot in Maniac, that's why the end of the Prowler, and that's why Dawn of the Dead looks so amazing those headshots because they're really blown up because he was really blown I up. had Tom on the show and he said that's his, I said what's your favorite death you ever orchestrated he mentioned that one the maniac head explosion so I love this for me it was like maniac the prowler the Mother's Day but Mother's Day I watched at my bar mitzvah that film was like <laughs> you know and, and I saw like cut we had like cousins from Larchmont that were traumatized by that oh, movie yeah. but that movie I've watched over and over and over and over I think it's like a subversive so would people come over to your house because you guys were allowed to watch whatever you wanted yeah, at your we house had a pieces poster up on the wall in our basement it was next to our WWF poster and a pieces poster <laughs> and uh, the other movie that we that watched poster is lot... now in my house by the way I had it professionally restored by an art restorer I'm not kidding <laughs> nice. well, the other movie we watched a lot was student bodies Ooh, God is that a good movie Student Bodies was great. It's a comedy. Directed by Mickey Rose, who co- yeah. Mickey Rose, who co-wrote Take the Money and Run, and it has like an Alan Smithy credit. Like, like it Alan was, Smithy. it was a, it was basically scary movie. It's like a parody of slasher films. It was one of the first ones, wasn't it? It was so funny. We I love that movie. It. We We're still, like, I, yeah. as a kid, as ten years old, like that thing making fun of slasher movies and the body count was like it was. See, hilarious. but I, I, I would disqualify those type of movies. I didn't like comedy horror movies. That was yeah. that was. Have that you was, seen Student Bodies? I have seen it, but I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, but I didn't like like Night of the Living Dead. We want brains. Send more cops. I didn't like oh, that. Return Sorry, Return of the Living, Living Dead. I didn't like that. I, I want. I don't want comedy. You don't want pizza with your what steak. About Motel you like it separate. I want I one it. or the other. Huh? Did you like Motel Hell? Yeah, but that's not so much a comedy. That's just that's a dark comedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that. It's like, totally it, consistent. No, I know what you mean. I mean that's where American Werewolf in London. It, the tagline it, it said a comedy with bite. It was sold as a comedy. As a dark comedy, right? That's what they said on the poster. Because it was funny. But the idea... I always thought the humor... And I got I a lot of people were like, Gavin Fever's not scary. It's funny. I remember like that... Part of me, I like it when the humor comes from the horrificness of the situation. Yeah, I, I, but I made a conscious decision in Hostel to like fully shut But the there's flight. a difference between... Shut it off. Yeah. Com- like Cabin Fever is not a comedy. It's got some funny parts to it, as most good movies do. But when it gets rolling, it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty it's dark disgusting movie. and dark. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I never had an issue with that as being in that, that style. But no, I agree with you. But that's why when the, the kind of the Freddies, the Jason, those movies, they... You know they they stopped it. It's they it's become parodies of themselves. Yeah, and then there were there were some bad ones in like kind of post scream. 
Then there was I Know What You Did Last Summer, and then there's the PG-13 where all the TV stars would do it, but they wouldn't take their tops off. So you had a slasher mm. movie with no nudity in it. Well, because that, that's the death knell. Exactly. Offensive. No one, yeah, would, that offends no one would do it. And then so then you get movies like that. Then there was Urban Legend. Mm-hmm. And then Valentine, Jamie Blanks, who does Urban Legend. They like, start going to the Final Destination, bad. and they're bringing it back. Although, you know what? The Final good. Destination was great. Final they're, Destination they're, was like a good – They clever, actually had a good turn. run. Especially thing. Final Destination 2. Yeah. I thought the truck crash – David mm-hmm. Alice's truck crash. And that was oh, yeah, yeah, sure, with the log and everything the was great. You know, absolutely. Was a lot of, really, really one of my favorite sequences. But when you're talking about, like, you know, you know the, the Freddy and the Jason, those movies, because you mentioned before that, that Halloween 2, then you get Friday 13, 3, and then they're going 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And it, like, I remember the one, I think it was Jason Takes Manhattan, where he's up on the rooftop boxing somebody. Mm-hmm. And then the guy's like, come on, throw your best punch. And then Jason punches his head off. Like he know. hits him so hard, his head just goes boop, and like, like yeah. that's where to me it's just like so well, there, bad. Well, no one was trying. There was nothing clever right. about it. No, they weren't trying to be scary. There were. There's no audience for that. It's like, oh, people love Jason. We don't. They don't have to be good. And that's when you get, you know, the guys like, you know, when it was James Wan, Rob Zombie, and Alex Aja, and Neil Marshall, and all the guys that were like, no, we really care about Greg McLean. Like, we care about making these movies ben great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like Ben Wheatley, like people that actually are like, no, you can have really good acting, really good stories, and then you see stuff that's coming out now, like It Follows, which is kind of the modern slasher movie. It's so damn smart, or even this kind of House new of the way. Dead. Of, House of the Devil, House of the Devil that's by cool. Ty West is fantastic. Yeah. Even The Witch, Robert Eggers film The Witch is so good and smart, and you know, then you see, I don't want to ruin it, kind of I won't, but Split is amazing. It's like I'm not caring about that. Oh, it's amazing. I won't say anything. It's such a return. Just go see it. it. It's such a return to form. It's like it's fantastic, but it's like just smart, scary. So there are people, you know, the thing is I love a good kind of trashy slasher film, but these movies in the 80s, they weren't trying to be bad movies. You felt like by the time Fred Jason's punching off, they don't care if it's good. It's like, oh, it's okay. It's a Jason movie. It doesn't have to try. And then, you know, yesterday they they were trying to reboot it. The reboot got shut down. Again, another yesterday, Freddy? yeah, Friday another Friday Friday They're rebooting because they yeah. already did one. They did one. I don't know why. I have no idea why. I think it was because maybe because Rings didn't do as well as people thought it would. Hmm. Like a totally different kind of thing. I know. I, I think that's a really good point that you just made, though. That it's like Mad Men we were talking about earlier. It's mm-hmm. like you could tell they weren't trying to make a bad movie. They really cared about it, and there's something about that earnestness they that had that the money resonates. to make. Yeah, yeah, well, you know what I mean. And, and like a passion, isn't it? Yeah, like you know, some people are passionate about whatever they do. Other people may not have that passion. Well, I think it's like rock and like, like heavy metal in the '80s too, and the yeah. '80s. That's why grunge came because it just became a parody of itself. Where there were so many bands getting signed, and also the, even the great bands were starting to get lazy. You know, thinking like Maiden in the late '80s. Well, early everyone 90s. thought everyone thought it was never going to end. Right, it was, that's it was what so happens. Easy, like, you know, it's just that easy. You didn't have to do it. Because when you think back to like Friday the Thirteenth, like there's some terrifying. Like when she's stuck in the outhouse. And they start sticking. Oh, st- I mean, that's they are, terrifying. They are, fan- you know, we can talk about, you know, Sean Cunningham and Steve Miner took from Mario Baba, but but those guys are oh, fantastic. These are those are fantastic. <laughs> remember, remember like, was it the two guys, the the the, the leather the leather guys? A rat a tat a tat a tat a I'm gonna kick your ass. I'm gonna kick your ass. You really f-ed up this time, asshole. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. I want you got to cover some of the theme songs oh, yeah, yeah. of these movies. Like, there's a there's a great trope in these movies that they do um, in. In My Bloody Valentine, where they tell in the Madman, where they the closing credits is the ballad that tells the story of the movie you've just seen. <laughs> They're like, you must remember some ago in a place known as Henniger Mine, but he's got legend began. It's the ballad of Harry of Harry Warner, but he's so Canadian. It's like 
of the horror of long time ago. It's like, like Gordon Lightfoot we, or something. It is. Like when, when we were shooting Lawyer's Bastards, Quentin and I would play, we actually had it on a loop. The Ballad of Harry Ward. <laughs> Who's the like, killer in my bloody movie. Valentine? Yeah, exactly. In Mad Men, there's two songs to open the movie. There's a guy telling the story, and then like the, someone sings the song, and then at the end credits, there's another song about everything. It's like I, I love right 80s yeah. slasher campfires with the guy. That's why I put one in Cabin Fever, like Phantasm. It's like monsters with bell bottoms in the cemetery. Yeah. It's the best. I like the random like 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 a Sleepaway Camp two where it opens up with an Anvil song. For like yes. 10 seconds of just like no reason, which when I was, was talking to Lips, I told him that he had no idea. You know, it was a, <laughs> no idea. He was even like, what? what are you talking about? Or, I'm really? We're in it? Oh, that's I, cool. I always felt bad for like, there's always like the fat guy that wasn't getting laid, like who's uh, kind of has to wander <laughs> off on his own. And like, it, it, like that's like kind of the, the one guy that won't be paired up with the hot girl or that gets rejected or tries to hook up. It's like, God damn it. And then he kind of goes off. Well, he's going to die some like horrible, horrible. But thing. your your theory of fat guy, cool guy, nerd yes. not only exists in teen sex comedies; it exists in slasher movies as it well. It does. It's true. You know, you really have the same dynamic. That's the one case where the virgin doesn't survive. The fat guy is always going to get hit in the horror movie. <laughs> it was funny because Jimmy DeBello in Cabin Fever was our fat guy. We're like, okay, we have these two couples and these two couples, and that's the purpose of the fifth wheel. The fact, or like, is the guy that just isn't going to get laid so he just goes around doing really stupid shit that gets the, everyone killed basically. Was it, was it, was it Friday the 13th 4 where there's that fat kid Joey eating the chocolate and then the guy just freaks out and murders him? Didn't that happen? Is it 4? Or... <laughs> Forget that. I think oh remember like it's at the very beginning he's eating too much chocolate and the guy just flips out and kills Joey the fat kid <laughs> and this is before Jason it's like even a, shows up it's like a delinquent camp because but yeah. then the ambulance guy shows up yeah and he, right. we find out later that he is the fat guy's dad and he's the killer for that he's film. the killer for that like film. Voorhees was was rarely the killer really, yeah. in any of these movies Voorhees is like why is everyone blaming me for this <laughs> yeah, I, I killed kill anybody I, I was the killer I was in one the movie one got attacked they tried to kill me yeah I was I the killer in one movie <laughs> my favorite death in Friday Thirteenth Part Two was when the guy in the wheelchair. Oh, it's, I don't know why it was funny. At the funniest thing, he just gets f***ing stabbed in the face. Number 81, Steve, just goes down the he's, stairs. He's wearing a shirt. This is 81. Yeah, number it. 81, which I've tried to replicate numerous times. And I almost named my production company like Steve 81. Like, <laughs> I've always tried to work that into a movie somewhere. When he gets into it, like, I... I was like, I was laughing so hard. I'll play that over and over and over. The guy in the wheelchair getting stabbed in the face, rolling down the stairs, and then he's rolling there. And then I looked him up to put him in a movie, and I was like, oh, he died of AIDS. Oh, jeez. So then I felt terrible That's laughing dark. about it. Yeah. I did feel, but until now, Wing with you guys sort of makes it okay because we're not laughing that he died. <laughs> but of AIDS. I am laughing at the fact we're laughing at the guy that the, when he was I going down believe. the stairs, he's like, it was like, like, like Franklin in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was like, anytime you put a wheelchair guy in a, a guy in a wheelchair in a horror movie, I'm like, no, no, get out of this movie. I'm immensely dreading. I, I, it's like when I see a dog. I don't want the dog to die. If I see someone in a wheelchair, I'm just waiting for the moment that everyone's like, run! And the guy just becomes fodder, like just a delay. Falling just so everyone, everyone else can get away. It's so sad. <laughs> it's great, too, though, because you mentioned the sequels. And then other movies from the 70s would come back. Like, remember Psycho 2? Psycho's in 1960. Psycho 2 comes out like in 1987. Now, uh, uh, Norman Bates is just a, a garden variety slasher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like just killing chicks in Directed a hotel. Directed by Richard Franklin, who does this amazing movie called Road Games with Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. and Stacey Keach. Wow. And, and uh, uh, Grant, uh, not Grant Page, Grant. 
Grant Goodeve. No, he's Sorry. the guy who plays. He's in Stunt Rock. He's like the stunt guy from Stunt, stunt Rock. Rock. He's the killer in uh, this Australian stunt guy. It's like an Outback movie. Grant two Page. Americans randomly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's really good. And yeah. so Richard Franklin, okay, the director of Psycho 2, when he's a film student at USC, is like this kid who's obsessed with Psycho to another level, like the way the director of Toy Story 3 is obsessed with The Shining, the way I'm obsessed with Mother's. Like, he's next level obsessed with this. And he fucking calls Hitchcock in his office and said, would you like to come down to film school? May I interview you? And Hitchcock says, okay. So fucking Hitchcock goes <laughs> down to USC and Richard Franklin is like, okay, here's my report on Alfred Hitchcock. Like, basically interviews him in front of like the film school and like gets this incredible interview and like dedicates his life and like what says he wants to make a thriller does a really good job with road games and they're like who can direct Psycho two? It's like well who literally knows the movie? Who nobody knows more about this movie than Richard Franklin? Hitches his idol and he just like he did a great thriller so yeah let's give it to him. And he got That's it. how we direct Psycho two. It's and crazy. I, th- I think they even squeezed a Psycho three out of it if they I did. Might. They did right. Anthony Perkins directed one of them. Now you cut Exorcist three. Exorcist the beginning. The beginning. Oh, not Exorcist Three Legion. Exorcist so the beginning. Actually, no, a, was that the Rennie Harlan? It was the, the one. Rennie Harlan version. Okay. Oh my gosh. Because that was re- it was like Paul Schrader. Re- Paul Schrader made a movie, but the studio didn't like it for whatever reason. They didn't. They wanted more more scares, more jump scares, more. And did you cut scares. Schrader's? No, I did not. You He's you back. cut the re- the so, new ones and bring in Rennie Harlan. When I was hired for the job, uh, Rennie asked me to come in, and he said he was going to shoot a little additional footage just to punch it up. Then he got the idea that for the money they were going to spend, he went out on a limb and said, I'll shoot a whole new movie and we'll just take the uh, exteriors, the exterior shots from the Schrader picture and use them because they had extensive uh, location work in Morocco. So what we did was we went to Rome and we had Victoria Storaro again. So he, he shot the Schrader version and he shot our version too. Storaro shot it. Storaro. So, so Rennie, Storaro. Ha- Rennie Harlan directed Exorcist 3? Exorcist 4. Exorcist 4. Oh, God. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I had no idea. You know. You know. I mean, come on. You, you're going to make an Exorcist sequel. It's yes. already in deep shit. Yeah, right. You're going down the, 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 the line. <laughs> yeah, and John that, Borman and, couldn't and pull I it like off. the John Borman film, but, you know, don't be expecting a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the greatest theme song ever. What is it? Just look up Exorcist to the Heretic trailer, and there's this like a trailer with a full theme song. It's the most nuts Ennio Morricone, like totally freaking insane. Because they also do another another one of those is Texas Chainsaw Massacre two and three, which were like twenty years after the original. Two is two two is a good movie, but it came years after the original. Yes, yes, yeah, and and again it got cut up. For an hour they would always do that. Let's talk about uh, two so, had the Breakfast Club poster. That's right. right. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about uh, famous people that made their debuts in slasher films. Well, you're the burning. Go for it, Eli. That's Holly your, Hunter. Holly yeah. Hunter in the burning. Holly Hunter in the burning, and Jason Alexander in the burning, and Fisher Stevens in the burning. Fisher really? Stevens. Oh yeah, Jason Alexander with hair. Fisher Stevens getting his fingers chopped off. Wow. How, does, how does Jason Alexander bite? Well, first of all, he looks like he's forty. Even <laughs> though he's like, kids, get in the water. Hurry up, Crosley's coming. It's like it's Costanza <laughs> in a horror movie. The best thing is the Miramax. You know, Harvey Weinstein and Bob Weinstein, and of course, won many Oscars. Very prolific, you know, film movie moguls. That's their first movie. It says mm-hmm. a Miramax production, but and I always tease them about this because they had no idea what order credit should go in. So it's like the burning. 
art directed by, first assistant director, based on a concept by Harvey Weinstein, gaffer, all in the head credits. It's like literally two people that have never made a movie before with no, no idea. idea whatsoever. And you Bob created Dimension. That's why he loves Slasher. They released Clown. And that's, you know, he made Scream. Okay. 1408 and stuff so they love this but their first thing was a horror movie so obviously Kevin Bacon, Kevin Friday, Bacon? yeah great Friday. death the, the, the spear through the throat spear through the throat yeah. Johnny Depp Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street first one and that's when he was out in LA to, to be in a rock and roll band yeah. wasn't getting any gigs so tried out for this movie thing and that worked out okay for him great death one of the better deaths though, amazing really, death yeah. what is his death his what? death he's in bed and he gets like sucked into the into bed, the bed. It's like a geyser of his of blood. blood. Yeah, and apparently it was crazy to shoot that. Like they, like he couldn't, like they, like they, they didn't anticipate how much blood would move, and they couldn't get him down. They couldn't. The the blood got too heavy. They couldn't rotate the set. He was stuck there for about fifteen minutes. Like that was apparently oh, wow. a crazy one. Yeah, Brad Pitt. What movie? What slasher film did he make his movie debut uh, in? April Fool's Day. Nope. Oh, it's one of those prom little, date. little later. I mean, prom, prom date, prom night. Little later. Uh, no, not prom night. Jamie Lee Curtis, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who was he in? Student bodies. It's some no, teacher no. cutting class. Cutting class. Right, cutting what class. Is, I mean, it's great. It's terrible. Do you know there's a really good Spanish one called Edge of the Axe that starts using like future supercomputers as the subplot. It's like, it's almost like Texas Instrument computers run amok. It's like, it's, you can find it on YouTube. It's a Spanish who film. Who made who? It's really, really bad. So how, how does Amazing. Brad Pitt die in a cutting class? I forget his, I, think, I can't remember if he's the killer if he gets, he's like the popular asshole who gets killed. Mm. Um, I forget Brad's death in cutting class. I saw it a long, long time ago. I saw it like shortly after. In I'm still, I'm still can't get Jason Alexander out of my mind. <laughs> Those crap kids run, and all the kids are freezing because it's like obviously being shot in October, but the kids have to wear shorts, so the counselors are wearing probably one of the best endings also though on the burning. Yeah, the burning is a very good. Idea. How does how does ending in that? I've seen it one time. No, okay. The burning is the kids are going out to the raft. They think they've made it. They're they're like canoeing out, and then Cropsey jump comes up with his garden shears and just like starts mutilating everyone one by one, and they just like in the water. Yeah, they're like in a boat out on the raft. It's like it's crazy, and it's just like this like just barrage at the right at the end of the movie, and then it's like the oh, end yeah. done. Yeah. There's well, always the twist too well, in the, the 80s slasher movies. Carrie, Carry with a, the hand coming through the grave. A classic. Gets the jump, and that's like the big thing. And then like Howler. Halloween, there's like a jump. You know, there's there's a Michael Myers is gone. Like you always need. And Friday, the biggest jump ever was Friday the Thirteenth. I think that that's what made yeah. that movie. That yeah. last yeah. shot. Once again, she's on the boat. She's in the raft. Yep. Mm -hmm. In the water. Cops and Jason's been the mom. It was you know Betsy Palmer that was the killer. So she's been taking away. She's looking at the ambulances. She's there drifting in the canoe, and it's just still one of the greatest shots in movies, of. You know, Jason Voorhees pops up out. And, and what's that guy's name? Ari Levine or something? Yeah, something Ari like... Lehman. And he sells that picture at Comic-Cons. Uh, all the like, time. Like, all it's like, that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't even look like you, man. Anything. You can't, you can't doesn't count. How, no, it could be anybody. How do know that's you? Ari. But a, 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 another great twist ending was Sleepaway Camp. Where we're oh, talking about Sleepaway Camp is the greatest Angela ending Angela Baker, ever. who Peter. ends up, she's actually yeah. a boy. She has, she has dad, a penis. They showed a little boys. Yeah. Well, they put his, you know, Angela... They used an 18-year-old, very skinny boy, and, and sort of superimposed her head, and it was so confusing. It looked so creepy, I too. I screamed so loud when I watched Sleepaway Camp. I was like, she has a penis! 
Yes! Like I couldn't. And it's demonic, it's, like wolf face. Like ah! you could never get away with that movie. Never. Today, well, even, even some of the deaths. There's there's a the beehive uh, locked in the outhouse with yeah, the, the beehive boil. getting eaten alive. Where you're taking a dump ski by the bees. It's true. I always thought water boil was a cop out death. Like if I saw boiling water, I was like. Especially when he's reaching, he's like, "Well, let me just grab this thing here." And, she, and you see their face bubbling. And he's right? holding. Yeah, I always wanted like a chainsaw ripping someone or something to like really crush someone's head. Those are my. Well, favorite. you would get those like yeah. mutilator where he cuts the guy in pieces with the motor outboard motor. Yeah. That was a good one. There was yeah. a good outboard motor in Doctor Butcher, MD. Doctor Butcher, medical deviate, also known as uh, Zombie Holocaust, with Ian McCullough, which <laughs> used the same sets as Lucio Fulci's Zombie. There was a great wave of those kind of Italian zombie movies that oh, came yeah. in at this you know at the same time like that's where i think you know you got to realize that drive-in theaters were playing movies like zombie and gates of hell and they weren't even going to the ratings board mm-hmm. they were just like and there were theaters in 42nd street that's where the term grindhouse came from these grindhouse theaters mm-hmm. that were showing movies like cannibal ferox make them you know make them releases make, make them, them die slowly. slowly new york ripper these movies would like Really insane Italian violence. They weren't. They were not putting those movies for the ratings board. And when um, Wes Craven made Last House on the Left, Sean Cunningham, the producer, took another movie and literally physically cut the R rating because <laughs> you had to put it on your movie. You would get a rating from the ratings board, but they would be a piece of film that says rated R. So he literally took a piece of scissors and just cut it onto his movie. And that was it. Cut it onto his movie or he, cut it out of the movie? He took the print of the movie. He took a print. They were, they were getting an X. Right. Oh, so he okay. took another movie. He took and a they... scissors, physically chopped it off, took sc- splicing tape, spliced it on his movie, and showed it in theaters. And it's it was like a it says right there. It says right there. Exactly. <laughs> no one was saying no. It was like that disorganized. There was no computer system for You're it. Sure, of course, of course. So, so a lot of these movies was sort of like when it came to video, the great kind of equalizer in the mid-80s, the video explosion of like 84, 85, when VCRs became cheap, and it wasn't $300 dollars for videotape and the price the rental houses you know suddenly video stores popped up in the mid 80s all of these movies it was like oh my god you know the, like the violence in reanimator the, the, they, they would just get released as unrated they weren't even going to the ratings mm-hmm. board and they could find an audience in drive-ins and on and on home video so that joe bob briggs would always do the uh, drive-in drive-in theater he had his, his books of all the reviews like seven boobs one dink and five deaths. By the yeah. way, a lot more relevant to me than like Gene Siskel like saying, "Don't go see Friday Roger 13th. Ebert." They're Gene Siskel. Like, they would trash I mean? these movies. Yeah, like they, they like, gave out Betsy Palmer's like address, saying like send her hate mail. And really, yeah. Gene Siskel did. Like it's crazy. Like, and they were so shitty. You know what happened movies. to him? He died. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not giving up Betsy Palmer's address, and I know where she lives. So spoiler alert, Siskel spoiler died. Alert. He died. Actually, so he was giving out her address? To, so. that, it's because they hated yeah. horror movies. You know what happened to Roger Ebert? <laughs> he died. Jesus Christ. I'm, so, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Spoiler alert, spoiler. Ebert and Siskel died. You know what? <laughs> Roger Ebert actually had written a diatribe against the original Night of the Living Dead when it came out. That was published in Reader's Digest magazine. Yeah, he also which wrote, I read when it came out. Geez. But he also wrote the intro, the, the intro to one of his books was uh, the case against David Lynch. And he, but you know what? He wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Which That's was all right. He wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which is a great movie. It is a great movie. So as we as we wind down here, we've talked a lot about pieces. Great film. Which ones do you guys stand out as your favorites from the genre? I gotta say, you know, I go back for like my my childhood is Mother's Day, but the movie I watch and I've and I've shown it at. Tarantino's Theater, the new Beverly, to a packed house, and it brings the house down. 
my favorite movie is Pieces. It just delivers on every level. And if I have like a party at my house, I'll put that movie on and you can walk in at any point in the movie and know what's going on and it's enjoyable. It never loses its entertainment value. It gets funnier and more enjoyable the more time you see it. I just, I love that movie. Great fun. It's yeah. got everything you're looking for in a, in a cheap ass, you know, Spanish slasher horror film. Movie yeah. The American. Yeah. yeah. For, for me, like if I want like something kick ass, it's Prowler. For something fun, it's got to be either Pieces or Motel Hill. I yeah, but pieces for sure. I think it's above that. I mean, it's its own thing. It's incredible. How about you, Mark? Well, there's so many, but uh, my classical favorite is uh, Mario Bava's 1964 film Blood and Black Lace. Especially Mm -hmm. if you can see the new uh, 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 Blu-ray disc in which they got back to the original look of the saturated colors. Mm -hmm. It's a marvelous film. Very much a classical mystery. But it's got the first of the uh, trench coat, hat-wearing, mysterious murderers. You don't know who they are. <laughs> yeah. And some it's still pretty nasty stuff. Set in stuff. the fashion world. Set in the fashion world. Really cool 60s Italian fashion of the models, models being are, stocked at a fashion show. That's right. Really yeah. ahead of its time. Such a unique, interesting setting. And, and because Beautifully Bava, photographed. You know, Bava was able to take a, a $49 budget and turn it into a, a spectacle film. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the visuals are just magnificent. He creates a whole fashion studio that looks like it's cut out of cardboard. Mm-hmm. And his son, his son Lamberto Bava directed Demons. Demons, Demons yeah. right? So that that was my favorite. But the the I would also say Dario Argento and uh, Tenebrae. That's his return to Giallo, mm-hmm. and it's a Giallo film kind of squared or something or cubed, because it's more than the original first onslaught of the Giallos. It's got some futuristic stuff going on. You'd have to read his quotes about it. You know, slightly in the future. Tenebrae is, has a sequence of someone in a house with camera work that like has never been matched. And it's, you're just like the stalker slasher. He just takes the POV with this girl in the house to the next level. It's, and the kills and the score by Goblin. I saw a screening of it recently with Goblin playing live. That movie and Justice, the French DJs remix the theme from Tenebrae. That song oh, wow. Phantom. That's Justice. <laughs> Goblin rules. There's, gave what there are, there's a couple of like '80s, like early '80s ones that we didn't touch on that like are like sort of seminal. Like Happy Birthday to me. You get like this mm, female yeah. killer, and then you get like April Fool's Unless Day, where it's like the thing of Muffy having and twins Buffy. and Blood Rage had twins, right? So there was yeah. like, there's like that other subgenre of like the twins, but Happy Birthday to me, I always loved as well. Yeah, Glenn yeah. Ford, Melissa Sue Anderson. Yeah. Yeah, Melissa Sue Anderson. Sh- shish kebab. Yeah. I was going to say the shish kebab through the mouth. Yeah. What a great death that, that was. That was the poster. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I got to go, obviously, with, 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 with Halloween still is my favorite if you're going for a slasher. But I'm going on left field. I still comfort food movie that I watch probably once every four or five months is, is Sleepaway Camp Part 2. Unha- uh, uh, unhappy Campers. Oh, no. is, the, is the tagline, yeah. And, uh, it, of course, that's with um, Pamela Springsteen playing Angela Baker. And that's that's Bruce's sister, by the way, wow. uh, just in case you didn't know. Wow. And uh, featuring uh, great tits in it, promiscuous chicks. By the way, chicks. Tisa Farrow stars an anthropophagus and zombie. That's Mia Farrow's sister. <laughs> there you go. Yes, that's true. But, but still, with, and we'll get to this too, with one of my favorite deaths of all time, uh, Death by Outhouse. Yep. When the girl gets pushed down the outhouse Very and jackass surfaces with leeches all over her face because obviously leeches live in the shitter of the outhouse. Basically, if you push if you if you push me into an outhouse, I'm going to smell bad. I'm not going to die and I'm not going to get eaten by leeches. 
It's not going to happen. Whoa. That's just the way it goes. So that would be my favorite death out of any of these ones. With the runner-up, it's not necessarily a death, but an Evil Dead where the demon pushes open the uh, the, 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 the flooring and sl- and slices the, the damn uh, uh, Achilles tendon. Yeah, the pencil. With the, the pencil, yeah, the, the pencil. pencil the amazing. That still grosses me out Well, Sam Raimi, that, that was day. one of my founding principles of horror was hearing Sam Raimi talk about that, and he said everybody knows – Nobody, everybody knows what it feels like to be stabbed by a pencil, but nobody knows what it feels like to have your head chopped. That's off. a great point. And I was like, that's been the whole principle in all the killings of the movies. Like, it's fun to watch someone get their head chopped off, but that's why I sliced the Achilles tendon in Hostel because everybody knows. Like, you, we've all been cut, but nobody knows what it feels like to get yeah, your head and, chopped and, off. And so the, it's just never, it's never going to be painful. Because well, there audience. is no feeling with your head chopped off. Your head chopped off. You're or done. So we think. Well, sure. And but people are like, no. If you're having this your, is really painful. The, the on the other side, slow. If you're having yeah. your Achilles sliced by scalpels like Hostel, yeah, unless it's Ichi the Killer and they're slowly cutting your head still, off. Still, yeah, 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 down, yeah. So the blood's rushing. Still to it. another totally gross Eli Roth moment. But uh, favorite deaths at all? I just went. I mean, there, there was a moment where I remember watching Friday Thirteenth Part Five with a Roman candle in the mouth. Ooh, where I just yeah. looked at my friend. And we were like, what? I was like, are they that out of weapons? <laughs> well, we Roman six, candle. He literally just picks up a sleeping bag and slams it against. Yeah, them. I guess. It's the tree. By the way, the prophecy sleeping bag against the tree, which now is like such a cheesy death as a kid, traumatized me. Oh, as a kid, the prophecy, yeah. How about uh, uh, Ron Palillo getting killed uh, yeah. in part six? Yeah. Yep. They're, so they're running out of uh, actors with Horshack. Yeah, like, well, Horshack's done nothing in 20 years. Let's, let's bring him on. Let's bring him in. I think he got uh, sliced by the by the pole. He got like impaled by a pole. <laughs> Any other uh, good deaths? I mean, the, the cha- the, the, there's the sequence in pieces. This beautiful girl is running. She's being chased. And the guy, it's just, she knows the killer's like, oh, it's you, sir. And, and revs the chainsaw. She goes into his stall. They run a saw like an inch from her face. The actress looks absolutely petrified because there's, there's no safety on this set. And then right before it cuts the shot of her being chopped in half, they have a close-up of her pissing herself. And it's just the most horrible, undignified death. And I remember as a kid being like, it suddenly made the scene real. And you're watching, you get, it's like, oh, this isn't fun. This is like, but it's one of those little touches that like you never forget. Like they did it. Like yeah, that would yeah, that would happen. There, it's pretty accurate. So, I love that movie. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> the eighties slasher uh, craze and uh, another successful, amazing show with the Roth brothers and Mark. <laughs> Thanks again to Eli Roth, Gabe Roth, and Mark Goldblatt. They gave you a lot of great suggestions for slasher movies to check out. And there's even a couple I haven't seen yet, but I definitely will go check them out now. I'm also going to check out Eli's new movie, Death Wish, with Bruce Willis, uh, coming out very, very soon, I believe uh, just in a few months. Uh, let's play the trailer for Death Wish now. Sway in the morning, Shay 4-5. We got to talk about what's happening in Chicago. Hey. Everybody's watching this viral video of this guy in the hoodie. They're calling the Grim Reaper. He stopped the carjacking. Is he right for taking the law into his own hands? He's become a folk hero. What about the shooter? He looked like a white dude. I love my family. But when they needed me most. 911, what is your emergency? These men are breaking into my house. I think they're here. <gasps> no. Failed to protect him. Dad, where's mom? The men who did it are out there. So there's nothing that you can do? Is that what you're saying? If a man really wants to protect what's his, I want to buy a gun. He has to do it for himself. 
closed, pal. Well, kill my wife. Who else was there? I don't know anything else. I believe you, Joe. You're not going to kill me. No. Jack is. You got caught in some crossfire? The ice cream man done it. The ice cream man? Can't walk to school if you don't work for him. Who are you? The last customer. You're cocked, locked, and ready to rock. I'll see. They called him a guardian angel. He saved my life. You look much better getting out, socializing. Mm. Not so much. Well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. <laughs> okay, I will. And that comes out in a theater near you on November 22nd, 2017. So after you got your scare on today with a slasher movie uh, extravaganza, you got to lighten things up. And that's where Team Tiger Awesome comes in. Laugh your ass off with their Ridiculoso now. This is the news with Team Tiger Awesome. In extremely local news, the call is coming from inside the house. Authorities will not make it on time. You should run. Go. Get out. Get out now. This week in nature, some real gnarly stuff went down. This mouse was just like minding his own business when this rattlesnake comes up and he's all, you know what, I'll just send you guys a link. And now the pronoun index. He's pretty alright, she's in fourth place, they're stuck in third because we're in second, and you're not going to believe it's still in first place. For more news that is in no way news, listen to the Team Tiger Awesome show every Sunday on the Jericho Network right here on Podcast One. Team Tiger Awesome has John Morrison on the show this week to talk about Create a Wrestler 2. Remember, Timmy the Carpenter was the wrestler I created in the first uh, the first uh, installment of the series. John Morrison, Johnny Mundo will be, uh, be there this week to uh, create a wrestler. And you can get uh, that podcast on Apple Podcasts and all iTunes areas where podcasts are available. Subscribe now. Also subscribe to all the other shows on the Jericho Network. Killing the Town, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, Beyond the Darkness, Raven Effect, Keeping It 100 with Conan. So many great shows. Uh, go check it out. We're here to entertain you. Let us entertain you every single day of the week. So thank you for being here and thanks to all the great sponsors uh, of this episode. A&E, watch season two of A&E's groundbreaking docuseries, Leah Remini, Scientology in the Aftermath. New episodes every Tuesday at 9 Eastern, 8 Central on A&E, riveting show. DDP Yoga, get 20% off the DDP Yoga app and all merchandise at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Save money and time when you buy a new car or a used car at True Car. Thank you for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next and coming up on Wednesday. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer guitar player for the Sex Pistols and a real funny bloke. He's the host of Jonesy's Jukebox five days a week on KLOS in Los Angeles. I'm talking about Steve Jones, former Sex Pistols. He is going to be here on Wednesday and what a great guy he is. We had an amazing conversation. Very funny, very cool. So check that out. Have a great weekend and in the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love and hugs and a big yeah boy.
Listen to new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.